All right, good afternoon and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream. We're on Wednesday today. It's a special Wednesday episode, July 27th, 2022. I uh, would like to say hello to everybody watching right now on YouTube and Twitch. Don't forget to ask us questions during the show. want to say hi to everyone listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders podcast network. It's another Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 preview show. And the teams we're going to be talking about today are the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears. So here to talk about these NFC North teams are, first of all, our own Derek Klassen, who wrote all the NFC North uh, essays in the book. And then uh, I've got a special guest, Matthew Collar from Purple Insider, is our Vikings expert to talk about one of, I think, our more surprising surprising projections. We'll start with um, the question of the day for polling. And the question of the day is how many sacks Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith will combine for this year? A, over 20, B, 10 to 20, or C, under 10? They had 27 sacks combined two years ago. Last year, with Hunter only playing seven games and Zadarius Smith missing the whole year, they combined for six. And I think that this is a good entry into our somewhat surprising projection for the Vikings because part of the projection is the defense improving, and part of the defensive improvement is not just the rookies they've added, uh, but um, adding Zadarius Smith and getting Hunter back, but I don't know if I sort of overestimated what Zedarius Smith will be coming back from injury. So I guess that's the first question is, you know, what do you think, Matthew, about the pass rush this year and what they're going to expect from those guys and not a lot of depth behind them? Yeah, I I remember um, seeing a tweet from somebody that said, every team that's mediocre thinks, if we just stay healthy at all of our positions, then we'll be pretty great. And, uh, you know, I think that that's this conversation when it comes to Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter is like, if they are both healthy, then the answer could be over 20 for sure. But that's kind of a stretch. I mean, when you think about Zadarius Smith initially signed a contract with the Baltimore Ravens and then all of a sudden that disappeared and he shows up here. And if uh, you use our friends at overthecap.com and you poke around over there and look at the contracts, you go, oh, okay, so that $42 million over three years isn't really $42 million over three years. It's more like a year-to-year contract for Zadarius Smith, which makes you think that there's some skepticism about his health. So, I mean, if I'm answering the question, I would have to go in the middle 10 to 20 because it's just hard to believe in Zadarius Smith's health coming off a back injury. And with Daniil Hunter, he missed last year with a torn pec, which is not generally a huge deal. But the problem is he also missed two years ago with a neck injury that required surgery. And so now you're talking about multiple injuries adding up together. If both of these guys are healthy, they're two of the best players in the NFL at their positions. Uh, Daniil Hunter is still 27 years old. So I think that it's 
more possible he can play the full season and be a dominant player. Also, I think Ed Donatel's system, they're going to move these guys around. They're going to be creative, especially with Zadarius Smith. And I think that that could benefit them quite a bit. I'm just skeptical of those guys both adding up to enough games to get 27 sacks again. And then you mentioned when you go to the depth on this team, the drop off from Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith to the next guy I mean, we were joking before we went on about uh, Chicago Bears receivers and how people couldn't name them, but name a backup pass rusher for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, they've drafted some in the past. They haven't developed them very well. They're hoping someone like Patrick Jones or Janarius Robinson can rise to the occasion, but we haven't really seen any evidence that that's actually going to happen. And this is the story of the Vikings defense the last few years when they're healthy they should be pretty good. But when you go one level down from the starters, it gets pretty dark. And I think that that's still the case with this defense and why I would say, because so much of it relies on those two players that I'm not sure how good they can be over a 17 game season. Yeah. I'll agree that the depth is really bad in the front seven. Like looking at their depth chart on our labs, the only position where it really looks like they have depth on defense is, um, the secondary, in particular because either the rookie Andrew Booth or Cameron Dantzler will be the fourth cornerback. So that's some depth. But the front seven has like none. Right, right. And and even then, I mean, when you think about the cornerback group, the only player that uh, is making any money is Patrick Peterson. And it's not much money. It's like Cameron Dantzler has not over a full season really proven himself. Andrew Booth, as you mentioned, is a rookie. And watching his college tape, I think there's tons of reasons to be excited about Andrew Booth. But the problem is, once again, we're talking about a guy who's had serious health concerns, multiple recent surgeries. And he said after the draft that he hasn't been healthy since high school. It's not exactly what you want to hear, right? And there's a reason, I think, also, when you go back and watch him play football, you're like, this guy should really be a first-round pick. And so there's a reason that he wasn't. Uh, and so then all of a sudden, you start to talk about kind of a house of cards here. It's like an older Patrick Peterson who was okay last year, but if he falls off, then you're in trouble a rookie that you're relying on. Uh, Shannon Sullivan seems to be kind of just a guy who can play nickel corner. And then after that, like who's coming? But there is an interesting player in their secondary though, Cam Bynum, who stepped in last year for a couple games. And honestly, a really, really smart player. And everyone raved about how he played last year. And I thought he was legitimately good stepping in for Harrison Smith. So this gives them some options of, you know, could you move him to nickel if you had to? Can you play three safety stuff, which is something that, uh, Mike Zimmer always talked about wanting to do, but never decided to do it. Uh, and so I think Ed Donatel will want to do some of the three safety stuff and be a little creative there. And also if Lewis singing, you know, Hey, you know, first round picks, we always just type them into the depth chart as starters. If he's not ready right away, then they have somebody else there, but that's really the only depth. And I think that's where you look at the defense and get concerned because even though they've struggled to create pass rush over the last few years, they also couldn't cover anybody. I mean, Bashad Breeland struggled. Mackenzie Alexander struggled last year. The rookies in 2020. So are we in for the kind of the same redux of that, where it's like you could talk yourself into it at camp, but as soon as something goes wrong, that it all falls apart. Or I've also covered seasons where everyone stayed healthy and it worked out. And so, you know, you, you never really can predict that. And I think that's why defenses are so hard to project in general is because how do I know which cornerbacks or which defensive linemen are going to get banged up? I I just want to say I love the Cam 
find him. Shout out. That guy is good. Um, he was actually, I, he played corner at Cal. Um, you know, if you aren't like super into the draft, you might not know that, but yeah, he was a corner at Cal. He actually beat the bricks out of Brandon Ayuk when they played. Um, and that was kind of why I liked him, but now it's safety. Yeah. He's just like a really smart physical player. I feel like generally if you're a cornerback moving to safety, you kind of have to be really good in the brain department. And I think he is. And like Matthew said, like, even if it's just to be a backup and a third safety, like, there's value in that. I think especially with like more teams experimenting with that. And then because of his corner chops, I think you can like be okay leaving him as like, you know, if you need to bump him down to the slot a little bit and stuff. So I really like him. I, I will say, yeah, he's probably their best depth player, um, at least for my Yeah, mind. and there's kind of a thing with Ed Donatel's defense where they're talking about how can we be creative? Because with Mike Zimmer, it was mostly static. Now I'm sure he changed details of how do you handle this motion or how do you handle certain route combinations and so forth. Those are hard to pick up on uh, unless he tells you that those are the assignments he changed. But as far as how he wanted to play defense, nickel Kendrickson bar there, you know, Harrison Smith moving around and things like that. So you can talk yourself into there's a lot of creative ways that players can be used. Harrison Smith could do anything on a football field. And Lewis Seen coming downhill, I think, is a special player. So how can you, you know, mix those things in? Can you blitz them? Can you run, you know, different coverages that are disguises and all these things? But the real question is, can everybody master the scheme here? Because I was looking at just the training camp schedule and, you know, we know that preseasons are shortened and I don't even know if Kevin O'Connor wants starters to play in the preseason. There's only Not a handful of practice. Rams, he doesn't. Yeah, right. Which I think overall <laughs> is smart because last year they lost Irv Smith Jr. to an injury for the season in the third preseason game. It's just senseless. But at the same time, like adapting a lot of new faces to a completely new defense, Kendricks, Hunter is doing something different. Now he's going to be standing up more often and Harrison Smith, I mean, he's an incredibly smart player, but he's been playing for Mike Zimmer since 2014. So how do these guys adapt to all those things? And also, is there a little bit of, well, we can do you know all these creative things with guys, right? But you also have to make sure you've got the fundamental parts to it. And I think that that's one of the things that just, again, makes defense so difficult is you have a new linebacker, you got a new you know, scheme, you got a new safety who's a rookie, and all of these people have to be on the same page because if there's one mistake, you're playing Aaron Rodgers in the first week, you know he's going to find it, even if he doesn't have Devontae Adams. Yeah, it's interesting. The projection for defense is actually, when you look at the individual Vikings projections, they don't look weird. It's when you add them all up that it looks weird. Like their defensive projection, the average of the range of possibilities comes out 18th. Well, they were like 16th on defense last year and 18th the year before. So being 18th this year makes a lot of sense. Their offensive projection comes out, I think, 7th, which is a little higher than they were last year. Last year they were only 16th, but they were 8th and 10th the two years before that. And a big reason for their offensive projection is that Kirk Cousins is always kind of good. Like he's always statistically like the 10th or 11th best quarterback in the league. And, um, you know, he's like the king of the win with guys, right? He's not a guy you win because of, but he, he always comes out with good production and he's kind of consistent. So the offense, you know, is going to be a new offensive scheme with O'Connell, but the same good pieces that have been on the offense in years past, hopefully more healthy than last year. Irv Smith back. Uh, obviously, Justin Jefferson is a stud. 
what do you, what do you say about the offense? I mean, do you think that the projection of sort of seventh or eighth in the league is too high, or do you think, uh, or do you think that that sounds reasonable? I would call it enthusiastic. Um, maybe uh, I think that you know there's a lot of great quarterbacks in the league who are leading really explosive offenses. Now, if we kind of section it off to the NFC, you could see it. Like that's what really matters, right? Is getting in the NFC playoffs. And you could see where Kirk Cousins could lead one of the three or four best offenses in the NFC. It's probably not going to be better than Tampa Bay, Green Bay, or Los Angeles, but for that next spot, I mean, Arizona, whatever San Francisco is going to do, Dallas, of course, in the mix. And you can see the Vikings getting in that conversation uh, and having that drive them to a playoff berth, but not a legitimate candidacy for being a Super Bowl team, which has kind of been the best case scenario since Kirk Cousins got here. And the funny thing about Kirk Cousins and his consistency is that he's consistently inconsistent over a season. Uh, a couple of years ago, I charted, or a couple off seasons ago, I charted all of his the QBRs in individual games and just looked at how much he went up and down and had these wild, like player of the month in October. And then what the heck happened in December or why did he start the season like that? And then, oh my gosh, he bounced back. He's never, and, and I know that all quarterbacks are kind of like this, but he's kind of an extreme, They call, I mean, here they call him the Kirk Coaster because, and a lot of times it depends on how tough your schedule is or who you're playing against. And it was something else that I looked at maybe last off season about every time he had played a defense that ranked top 10 in quarterback rating against, he lost like every game. And I think that that's what it kind of comes down to with Cousins is it's always circumstances. It's always how well it's drawn up. Does everyone stay healthy again? Because last year when they lost Thielen, like go look at how he played when they lost Thielen and had to be KJ Osborne. It was not pretty. Um, so are they healthy? Is the offensive line healthy and holding up? Is the scheme working? And then what's the schedule look like? Because his best year in 2019, when they finished uh, eighth in points, Everything came together. They were mostly healthy. Kevin Stefanski was fantastic. And they had one of the easiest schedules like in Vikings history. And so this year you look at the schedule and you go, there might be some good defenses there, but I'm not really convinced that the AFC East outside of Buffalo and the NFC East are the most dangerous to be paired up with, which leads you to believe, and this may have been factored in their decision to keep Cousins, leads you to believe that they have a chance to be a top fringe top 10 offense but that would be good enough to get them to the playoffs they uh they do have one of the easier projected schedules in the league by our numbers and i will answer the question from colonel kurtz about isn't the first year in a new defense usually kind of bad yeah the fact is when you have a new scheme on both defense and offense all other things being equal you take a little bit of a step backwards so that's one of the reasons why the Vikings projection was sort of surprising because all the other stuff in the projection system outweighed the fact that they're in new schemes on both sides of the ball. I think yeah, for the offense, and, I mean, Oh, I was sorry. Go say, ahead, I yeah. think it mostly comes down to the offensive line, like, because they didn't really, they didn't change the receivers at all. I, I mean, like they're basically running back with the same, Just getting Irv Smith the same back, guys. That's it. Yeah. They're getting Irv Smith back, which like, to me, like, that's nice, but it's not really moving the needle for what I think about the offense necessarily. Um, so it really just comes down to like, can Ed Ingram play really well at guard out of the gate? Um, can Garrett Bradbury maybe finally take another step? Can Christian Darisaw take a step? Which that one I actually expect to happen. I thought he was fine as a rookie. 
and you expect the first rounder to, to take a step in year two. So to me, it really just comes down to the offensive line, um, not even just for pass protection, but for like running the ball, because I think Dalvin Cook is one of the most explosive runners in the NFL. If you can get him a couple more runways a game, he's going to make good on that. And I think that like dramatically changes just the offense, like where they're getting production. And I think that obviously makes things easier for Kirk, who loves that play action structure. And if you can get the run game going, I think it's all going to work together for O'Connell. Yeah. So the thing about this is like, um, you know, I, I'm not very good at math. Uh, I, I'm, I like football analytics, as you know, guys, but uh, not very good at math. But think about this. If you have like a 50-50 chance at four different things that all need to happen, somebody tell me what the odds are, but I know it's not good. That's kind of like talking about the offense for being elite. Like you need right guard play. So I'm not even sure that Ingram is going to be the one who starts because they brought in Jesse Davis and Chris Reed, uh, two veterans, and neither one of them have you know a past history that would suggest they are needle movers either. Garrett Bradbury's not going to change his stripes more likely than not. The interior pressure is where Kirk Cousins is at his worst is when people are coming up the middle. Actually, from the outside pressure, they spent a first rounder on Darisaw, but it's never really been an issue for Kirk Cousins because he stays in the same spot in the pocket and people just kind of run by him a lot of times. Um, but Darisaw was hurt a couple times last year. And not getting another wide receiver, I think, was the biggest surprise of the entire offseason to me. Because if you're leaning into Kirk Cousins, you're signing him to an extension, and you're saying Mike Zimmer was the bad man, it was all his fault, uh, even though he had Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski running the offense. But if you're making that case that it was Mike Zimmer's fault, the old crotchety defensive man, wouldn't you want to try to make yourself right by like drafting Jamison Williams or signing another wide receiver or something? I think that was the biggest surprise to me because now if Thielen or Jefferson is gone for even a game or two, and you want to play 11 personnel, like who's yeah. coming in there? I mean, they really need during this camp, somebody to step up and show that they can be a playmaker. So, yeah, as, oh, if they're, they're going to be O'Connell and O'Connell's bringing the Rams system, they're going to be 11 personnel almost nonstop. Mm -hmm. And so you yeah. would think they would have wanted to upgrade that third receiver spot. So are you also of the opinion that KJ Osborne is not that guy? I think that, you know, KJ Osborne, when he's in the slot, can make plays with the football and he can catch the ball. Like, I, this seems like too obvious, but if you've watched many, many <laughs> training camp practices, not everyone can catch the ball. And, I've seen a lot and, of those Vikings depth receivers. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, if you're talking about like he can track the ball and he can make some plays in space if you scheme it up for him, I think that's totally fine. But I have a, a really serious question about how often Jefferson is going to be in the slot. Because if you're asking Jefferson to – I think he was like 30% of the time in the slot. If you're asking him to be there – then like 50% of the time and you're moving Osborne to the outside. I don't think that's where Osborne really thrives. I don't think he's like a technician, get off the line of scrimmage, break people's ankles and get wide open. I think he's much more, if you could create some space for him. Remember he was a really good punt returner in college. Like he can make some plays in space uh, that I think can benefit, especially when no one's paying attention to him because Thielen <laughs> and Jefferson are on the outside. So I think, I think it's a favorable spot if you run it that way, but this goes kind of back to what we were talking about, about defense, where it's like, if you get too crazy, like you were talking about the offense these last few years, 
it's far from atrocious. It's been mostly good over the last few years. And Kirk, Kirk Cousins has set his career high quarterback rating like the last three years that have all been over 100. And it's like, how crazy do you want to get? I think you want to tweak some things and adjust some things. But the idea that the last group was doing everything wrong, I think, is totally, totally false. And uh, they they are really, again, sort of skating on thin ice because I think if everything goes right, they can be a top-notch offense. But if a couple things go wrong, then we're talking about probably the same as before, where it's some weeks are up when they play the Lions or some weeks are down when they play the 49ers, and that's just kind of the life we live here. Yeah. Interesting. It would be interesting to go in and look whether Cousins is more affected by the quality of the defenses he plays than the average quarterback. Because, right, we adjust all the quarterbacks for opponents, but we adjust them all the same. Maybe some quarterbacks – are, have a stronger effect from playing the good opponents than other quarterbacks. Do. Um, so overall, it's interesting, you know, we have them slightly ahead of the Packers, which is, you know, sort of shocking. The Packers have the better offensive projection. The difference is that the Vikings have the better special teams projection and schedule. Do you see them being competitive with the Packers or do you see this year being much more likely to be, Hey, can we win a wild card in a weaker NFC? Yay. <laughs> I mean, I think that everything, if we're talking about like a, uh, uh, like what are, what are the potential outcomes here? There's definitely one where Aaron Rodgers uh, is like Nicholas Cage and past his prime uh, in, in terms of his play and starts to have that slide. And then we're talking about, you know, no Devonte Adams there. Maybe the offensive line isn't as good. I see Bakhtiari still isn't back with them. So there's just these small things instead of being an unbelievable MVP player, he's much more of a, the guy that was there in 2018 uh, who is not just completely carrying everyone. And I, and I really don't buy into, you know, like drafting a guy in the second round and then just throwing him in with Aaron Rodgers. I think Rodgers plays by feel so much that you need to be on the same page with him. And that that exactly what Aaron Nagler said. it's exactly what Aaron Nagler said yesterday. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Nagler knows his stuff. I mean, if there's a Packers guy that enthusiastic who can come on my show from time to time, you know, that he's good. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, so you talk about like, there's a world where this happens. There's like their defense is supposed to be good, but as we were talking about, you're always an injury or two away from your defense, not being that good and running games kind of are what they are. So it's like if these things hit for the Vikings and they don't hit for the Packers, which does happen, then you can see it. It's not like we're talking about the Bears here where it's like, no, there's really no world where that happens. But it's sort of like I need to see it to believe it. I I, I need to see Aaron Rodgers fall off to believe Aaron Rodgers has fallen off because I have driven down to Lambeau Field too many times and watched that man throw footballs that I cannot believe I'm seeing in real life. And as long as he can do that, I'm, and, and is also the other thing, too, is kind of like with the Vikings, where they're making all these arguments of new coach, new scheme, new culture and all that. And we're going to be the ones that support Kirk Cousins and lean into Cousins. And I, I feel the same way where it's like I know in football we're trying to project everything. But I need to see that to believe that, because when a guy has had this many years with the same results over and over and over again, like how do you tell me that it's going to be different this year and they're going to be better than the Packers? Speaking of the Chicago Bears, let's talk about them a little bit. That's the other team to cover today, and that is the weakest team in the NFC North. There's no question about it. They have our weakest projection. 
surprisingly high defensive projection, I think. Some of that is just the expectation of regression because this is a team that's been good on defense for years. They were a top 10 defense in 2018, 2019, and 2020. Uh, but uh, they are, I mean, you know, they're not, their mean wins is high because, as I've said on all these shows, our projections just came out more conservative than ever before this year with everything really closely packed around 500, but they only come out as the 26th best team. And their offense is just, who are these guys' receivers? It's Darryl, Darnell Mooney and the who are they's. You know, is Byron Pringle anything without Patrick Mahomes? Uh, Vellis Jones, as we were talking before the show, is already 25 years old, not really a prospect. So, uh, Derek, let's go to you first with your sh- thoughts on the Chicago Bears. Uh, I, it's just bleak, I think is probably the right word. Um, the offensive projections, I think, are pretty spot on. Um, I think the only, like, room for optimism is that, like, you just hope that, like, Justin Fields really takes some insane step and that, like, Luke Getze is a really good uh, quarterback teacher and offensive play caller. But you look at the personnel, this offensive line is one of – it has it has to be like a bottom three offensive line depth chart, you know, just roster in the league. I mean, they brought in Lucas Patrick from Green Bay, which is nice, but they lost James Daniels and like they're still probably they might be starting Larry Borum at tackle. Like it's just they Wiley have a Reed lot of is now their left tackle. They just signed him. Oh well, I mean, I guess that does something if they're going to keep Tevin Jenkins at right tackle, which probably makes sense because that's what he played in college and like. You know, props to the new coaching staff and regime for realizing that. I don't know why the last one tried to move him to left. But, yeah, I think the offense is just pretty doomed. And then for the defense, you know, I kind of wrote this in the chapter. The projections feel a little rich to me because I just, at least for me, I think the spots where they're bad, they're really bad. Like, I think the interior defensive line um, is going to take a step back after losing Goldman and Hicks. And I know those guys weren't all that healthy last year. Um, but I think they still have lost a lot of talent there. And then at linebacker, it's really, really hard to lose Alec Ogletree and then get worse at linebacker, but they found a way. <laughs> um, and I think that's going to be a, a really big issue. So I, I think, again, even there, I think the only real reason for optimism is you just hope that Brisker and Kyler Gordon are huge upgrades, and they might be. I'm just not sure that's enough to move them into, into the Yeah, you range. can't bet on that, certainly. You can't bet on rookies being great, even though – as I've talked before, our projection system, defensive rookies, like the improvement from defensive rookies is a little bit more predictable than offensive mm-hmm. rookies. So, uh, you know, you do better in our projections if you do have the defensive rookies. But great is quite a stretch, right? I mean, doesn't this remind you, like, uh, with the Bears, some of their position groups of, like, an expansion team or something? It's like, yes. is this the is this the 2 Texans or whatever? I mean, like, you look at the wide receiver group, and Nikhil Harry is playing football for them. Like, like Equinemius St. Brown. Like, this – I mean, this seems like you had to just pick up human beings who had played football before and that were better than USFL guys. And that's about the bar that they were able to, to meet. Now, what's interesting to me about the Bears, though, is just the really the timelines of every team in the NFC North. So you know that as long as Aaron Rodgers is around, one team is all in. The Vikings are calling themselves a competitive rebuild, which I think means we don't really believe we can win, but we kind of are trying to. Uh, and <laughs> with the Bears, I think that what they did was mostly smart but you have Justin Fields as sort of the elephant in the room. 
because all these things of a teardown, resetting of the salary cap, all that stuff, that would be generally good for a franchise that had sort of just been drifting south anyway. And it kind of reminds me of where like the Joe Burrow Cincinnati Bengals were in the first year. But of course, Burrow is fantastic and they drafted Jamar Chase and became you know a team that could go to the Super Bowl but I think that this year might be sort of similar to what it looked like where Burrow was trying to do everything and he was getting hit all the time and it just was kind of an ugly situation but you could see it with Joe Burrow even when his team was horrific and then they went into the offseason spent all sorts of money rebuilt their defense and then drafted a superstar at the top and I think if you're the Bears that's your best case scenario is that You can see it with Justin Fields because there were times where you kind of could last year, but you really had to squint. I mean, it looked like somebody who didn't know where he was supposed to throw the football. And that's what I wonder too, is like somebody like him, there's always this thing about like, Oh, he's an athlete. We should like do like Warren moon style and just have him throw all the time and have him do everything. Or like a Josh Allen, like stand back there. You just do everything. You're a great athlete. But I think that he is more of a guy that needs like the bootlegs and the easy throws that are schemed up for him. Like there's more of a Tannehill-ness to him than maybe people would want to say. So I think that at least if you can see this is a system that works for him and he can hit the open receivers and he can do some of the basics and not just make the big time throws, um, then at least you'll feel like you can rebuild that thing. Even if you only won five games, you've got your quarterback. But for me, it's hard to see them winning more than five games when you look at this roster. Yeah, I admit that the fact that the mean wins projection is so conservative this year, this is one of the teams where it really looks a little ridiculous. Like, I'm not expecting the Bears to win more than six, honestly. 7.7 seems a little absurd. The the thing about Fields is, first of all, how much can you judge him based on the talent around him not being good? Like, will you know at the end of this year that he's the guy, or will you just be like, well, I guess we're going to have to see another year where he's got better talent around him? And you also don't want him picking up bad habits and frustrations from the fact that he's got a bad offensive line and bad receivers. That's that the offensive line thing, I think, is the biggest thing that Fields actually has to fix. It's just, I mean, I think he's always going to be a player who holds the ball. Like, usually, if you're that way, you just are that way forever. Russ has always been that way. Deshaun Watson's always been that way. Ryan Tannehill has been that way forever. You just have to like find ways to consistently make good on it. And I think. He kind of did at points last year. It's just, I think at a certain point, if the offensive line is so bad and you play that way, it's kind of impossible to make good on it unless you are someone who leaves the pocket a lot. You know, like Russ obviously left the pocket a lot. Mahomes will leave the pocket. Kyler Murray, that offensive line's not good, but he leaves the pocket a lot. Fields is not necessarily somebody who's like inclined to scramble unless he really, really has to. He's good at it. Like he's obviously an incredible athlete. He just doesn't have the like, it's not his first instinct to just bail and make a play. He wants to sit in the pocket and throw that deep post. Like that's what he's looking for. And I just think like with the roster construction, that might not be possible. So I think you just kind of have to hope that you see a little bit more like creativity and just on the flyness from him this year. Well, and from how about this for an anti-analytical take, I think what you want to see is some toughness from him, some mental toughness, some physical toughness, because he is going to get whooped this year. His offensive line is still bad, right? And last year, there was a game, I think it was against Tampa Bay, where he looked so broken. Yeah, he looked so broken. And to me, like, this is a thing when, you know, covering football, I feel like I have a good sense or good eye for this kind of win. 
when guys are just feeling overwhelmed out there. And I've seen it for many Vikings offensive linemen, like the body <laughs> language of someone who's just getting beaten. And, uh, you know, if you can overcome that, and I never saw that with Joe Burrow when he played for Cincinnati. I mean, there were games where he was just getting crushed. He was getting back up, finding a way to throw a touchdown late in the game, like keeping his team in it. These kind of gritty things that you want to see from Justin Fields. I'm willing to say that last year he did show some of those, and the fact that he recovered from that Tampa game and had some better games down the stretch that uh, I, I wouldn't say that I know which way it's going to be. But this is just going to require a lot of toughness and a lot of grit and a lot of like mental strength because the season is so long. And when you're bad, it just wears on you. And there's a reason why like Ryan Fitzpatrick stays in the league because you cannot break Ryan Fitzpatrick, no matter how bad it's going for him. He'll keep coming at you. And that's what you really need to see. I think from fields to believe in it in the future, but if he has a terrible year and it looks like he's just lost and they have to bench him or something like that, I mean, you just have to draft another quarterback and then you're behind with the rest of your roster building. And like, then you get into sort of Jets territory. Like, I think that the Bears are kind of doing a dangerous dance here with the way that they fumbled this timeline regarding Justin Fields. Nate Rogers asks, how much of an impact will Robinson's departure be on the Bears? I'm not sure that None. we think that Robinson is <laughs> trying. I don't think he was good last year. Yeah. I, and yeah, I. You don't know what's going on with the player, but it just felt like he had kind of checked out of being in Chicago. And it's really, it's hard to blame him. Like it was bad there for a while. I think he probably felt that the head coach was gone. If the season went poorly, the offense was not very well designed and he was playing with a rookie quarterback, which like that's even if a rookie quarterback is good, that's usually going to be harder than um, playing with a veteran that you're used to. So I, I don't think the Allen Robinson departure really means anything. Even if he's good in Los Angeles, he just wasn't good at the end of his Bears tenure, so I don't think losing him really does anything. Uh, Brodalicia says, I think optimistic Bears fans are telling themselves Robinson, Mack, Hicks, and Goldman are big names, but it was a tough schedule, and they won six games, so won't they win six games this year, I guess? I think there is a little bit of that in the projection because losing those guys is not a big change to the projection. Mack only played half a year. Goldman were and hurt. Hicks were not fully healthy. Robinson checked out. Like Losing those guys is not a Big change to our projections. Um, I will say, if you want to talk about Allen Robinson, tune in next Tuesday. The next episode of the Football Outsiders livecast is next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And we are going to be doing the Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Mike Tanier should be back from vacation. Vince Verhey will be here. He wrote those chapters. And Matt Harmon from Yahoo and Reception Perception will be here and I wanted to get Matt on that show specifically to talk about Allen Robinson so we could figure out, is Allen Robinson going to be good in Los Angeles or not? So that is Tuesday's show. Reminder, Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 is available now. If you're not a regular FO Plus subscriber, go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. The 20% off Early bird special goes until the end of the month. So you want to get that early bird special now for access to the electronic version of the Almanac, as well as the Kubiak fantasy draft tool and all the in-season fantasy projections and picks against the spread and fantasy tools and all the other things that are part of FO plus. Or if you want the big, big book football outsiders, Almanac 2022 
is on Amazon now in its big printed dead tree form. Uh, Matthew Collar from Purple Insider, thank you so much for joining us to talk about the Vikings. Much appreciated. Derek Classen, of course, wrote those chapters. Always good to have you on the show, Derek. And uh, that does it for today's show. We will be back on Tuesday with the Rams and Seahawks. Take care, everyone.